quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Out front next, prepared to attack. That's Israel's message as the truce is about to expire. Is the fighting ramping back up? Fareed Zakaria is out front. Plus, a story you'll see first here tonight. Nevada officials investigating the state's fake electors for Trump. So we tracked them down and wait till you see what they did next. And tonight, RFK Jr. gaining traction. And we are live at his campaign rally. His supporters are going to tell you why it's Kennedy for them over Biden and Trump. Let's go out front. And good evening. I'm Aaron Burnett. Out front tonight, prepared to attack at any hour. That's what Israel is saying tonight, as Hamas says it's at, quote, high combat readiness. Both sides preparing for the truce to end tonight if a deal is not reached by midnight Eastern. Last night, the truce was extended 24 hours at the very last minute. So today what happened was eight hostages were released. Right now, this is video of a group of six that just arrived back in Israel uh, within the past hour or so. Two others were released earlier today. They have now been reunited with their families. The reality of it is is that so far, only women and children hostages have uh, primarily been released. That was the deal made by Israel and Hamas. But by Israel's last count, there aren't very many women or children left in Gaza. But there are 118 men still being held by Hamas. So to continue the truce, the parameters of the deal would obviously have to be changed. You know, it was uh, three Palestinian prisoners uh, for uh, every one Israeli hostage and those women and children. So as we await word of the possibility of a last-minute deal, the reality is that violence is already underway at this time, Hamas claiming credit for a deadly shooting at a bus stop in Jerusalem. And you see the attackers getting out of the car there, then they actually shoot people waiting for the bus. And actually watch that happen and that terror and fear in Jerusalem Hamas tonight saying it's celebrating the attackers who killed three people and injured seven more at that bus stop. In response, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu doubled down on his promise to finish this war. We swore, and I swore, to eliminate Hamas. Nothing will stop us. Matthew Chance begins our coverage tonight out front in Tel Aviv. So, Matthew, here we are uh, in these final hours uh, before uh, 7 a.m., your time, midnight Eastern. Where do things stand right now in these last-minute negotiations? Yeah, well, there's just five more hours to go before uh, the deadline expires on those negotiations. But the diplomatic effort, we understand, is absolutely intensive to try and find a way to extend this hostage deal. This, though, as a senior Israeli lawmaker, uh, tells CNN that he believes uh, we're close to the end of the current phase of this deal, at least, unless Hamas can come up with another list of hostages to be released, like the ones that have been over the course of the past few hours. Oh, no! 
for the seventh night after a last-minute extension. This fragile deal to free hostages in Gaza is holding. The latest group of Israelis being handed to the Red Cross includes 40-year-old Amit Sosana and 21-year-old Mia Shem, an Israeli-French dual national who appeared earlier in this Hamas propaganda video being treated for an injured arm. Please get us out of here as soon as possible, she pleads to the camera. And now, finally, the moment Mia's family, separated since October the 7th, were reunited. A glimmer of joy amid Israel's horror. But the horror continues. Tonight, Hamas posting a video of an Israeli hostage whose wife and two children, it says, were killed by Israeli strikes. The Israeli military says it's investigating, but in a video message which CNN isn't airing, Yardan Bibas calls on the Israeli government to bring his family home so they can be buried in Israel. And now there are growing concerns at what comes next. The US Secretary of State has been meeting Israeli officials to discuss the next steps. As one Israeli government legislator tells CNN, we are close to the end of this deal, at least this phase of it. This phase being the release of three Palestinian prisoners for the release of every Israeli woman or child. When it comes to the men and the Israeli soldiers being held, Hamas wants to set new terms. They want a different equation, the legislator says. And as long as they can provide hostages, we are willing to talk. Indeed, there's broad interest in keeping some kind of deal in place, not least in Gaza where residents are receiving crucial food supplies, as well as medicine and fuel during the pause in Israeli strikes. We wish this was the last day of the war and that we can be done with all this chaos, says Mohammed al-Basha. Enough people have died or suffered, he says. It's a sentiment being voiced on both sides of this bitter divide. In Tel Aviv, Israeli protesters are calling for efforts to bring the hostages home to be stepped up. And for the Israeli government to avoid returning to a war that may put more lives at risk. Well, Aaron, with time running out, Israel says it will quickly resume its military operations in Gaza, if nothing else, but to pressure Hamas to release more of the hostages, now mainly adult males and Israeli soldiers, that it still holds. Back to you. All right. Thank you very much, Matthew. 118 of them, according to the uh, last Israeli count. A lot. Fareed Zakaria is with us now, the host of Fareed Zakaria GPS. So, Fareed, um, what happens when this truce, such that it is, ends? It's a very good question, uh, Aaron. I think the Israelis have, the Israeli government has a few choices, and they're very hard choices. Uh, one, it could try to resume the kind of operation it had uh, it has launched in northern Gaza. That operation, honestly, it's difficult to tell, but does not appear to have been that successful. We know for a fact that the Israeli government, the Israeli military, uh, you know, essentially leveled large parts of northern Gaza. The number of bombs that were dropped in that tiny area over the last 45 days is more than the United States military dropped in years in Afghanistan. And yet, by the Israeli government's own numbers, they believe that they have killed 
1,000 Hamas fighters of the 35,000 they believe uh, are around. So if you do all that and you've killed 1,000 out of 35,000 and your goal is to destroy Hamas, it feels like either you're going to have to do a lot more. Remember, 14,000 civilians have died. So are you going to are you going to you know go up to the same kind of kill ratios? Seems unlikely. So my guess is they're looking at more limited incursions into southern Gaza, and those will will be much narrower, more targeted. Uh, it feels again like the goal of to completely destroying Hamas remains elusive. Well, I mean, if you, as you say, by those numbers, that's a ratio of 14 civilians to every Hamas combatant killed. Uh, by Israel, uh, which, of course, says that it goes to great pains to avoid civilian death. And the U.S. Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, was in Israel again. And on that, he told Netanyahu, or he says he told him, that Israel has to take further efforts to protect civilians in Gaza when it resumes military action. And Blinken says Netanyahu agreed. Okay, there's words and there's action. I mean, the reality of it is, Fareed, is how much can the United States even control what Netanyahu does next? The United States does have leverage. I do think the Biden administration deserves credit for having uh, tried to balance. They have they have essentially adopted the strategy of saying we're going to uh, support Israel very strongly, support their right to defend themselves, but then we're going to quietly and privately counsel them. They tried initially, the Biden administration, to get Israel not to launch the kind of all-out, you know, air attack, ground invasion, the kind of shock and awe that, that Israel did in northern Gaza. That didn't work, but they did succeed hmm. in getting these temporary truces. And here we run up against another uh, area where the Biden administration has had some success. Israel says it has two goals, destroy Hamas and bring the hostages home. But the two are in some contradiction because the only way you get the hostages home is by negotiating with Hamas. So... Which is it? What, what are you trying to do, particularly in the short run? So I think that the Biden administration is trying to press Israel to think hard about surely the paramount goal is to get the hostages back. Uh, yeah. And then you can try this much larger, more expansive goal, which, as I say, so far, uh, they do not seem to be on a trajectory that they will accomplish. And obviously this truth such that it was, right? You've had uh, women and children released, and it's, it's, it's hugely significant in so many individual lives. Uh, but it does come after how so many of those families felt, as, as we know, uh, that, that uh, Netanyahu and the IDF had put defeating Hamas ahead of getting those hostages back. That's how many of them had felt. Uh, today, Hamas released a brief hostage video. Uh, which, in a sense, highlights some of this contradiction. We're not going to show it, obviously, Fareed, just uh, one still image. The man in the video, Matthew Chance, just referred to him, Yarden Babas. He says that his wife, their 10-month-old and 4-year-old children, all of whom were taken captive, he says that they're not now dead. His wife, a toddler baby. And Hamas says they were killed in an Israeli airstrike. They have not provided any evidence for that. Yarden in the video blames Netanyahu. Now, I, I, I want to emphasize, he's there, right? He's a hostage. This was filmed uh, in Gaza uh, and released by Hamas. Israel's calling the video itself an act of psychological terror. But it touches on a crucial issue here. And how much impact do you think it has? I think it has a very large human impact. And let's not forget, um, Israel is a divided society. And I don't mean that to suggest that Israel is weak in any way. But I think there are a lot of Israeli civilians and citizens 
who wonder whether the prime minister has had the right strategy from the start. Remember, Bibi Netanyahu's strategy was to build up Hamas to bifurcate the Palestinian movement, to make it uh, easier to say there's no one to talk to, and to essentially push off the possibility of any kind of Palestinian political rights or state. And that was a strategy that was not one that all Israelis agreed with. Uh, That was a strategy that was very much part of a very right-wing government. So to a certain extent, some of those cracks and cleavages are beginning to emerge. And people are wondering, is this the right strategy? Are we moving in the right direction? So, Faridas, now some of the families that I mentioned, the six hostages we understand have been released. They're now on their way to the hospital, will be reunited with their families uh, momentarily. Uh, Of course, we'll see if this is extended another day. We did see a video of a teen hostage who was released, and she was released with her dog. And and this caught a lot of people's attention uh, because the dog was with her when she was taken hostage on October 7th. Um, It's a dog. It captures our attention, and yet... Uh, it touches on something perhaps bigger, something important. Why do you think they let her keep her dog? What do you even make of this? I I don't know. I don't want to, you know, I, I, I don't have any sympathy for Hamas. I don't have any sympathy for the kind of brutal hostage taking. Uh, my, my guess is to a certain extent there's a PR element to it. Uh, they know that, you know, it, it looks good in a sense. We've seen that a little bit with some of these hostage releases, the Hamas fighters uh, trying to demonstrate a certain degree of... Well, with uh, the waving uh, and the... But it also shows, Freed, right, that they were thinking at the beginning, or somebody was at the beginning of the propaganda value of it. Yes, but that's what I mean. It's 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 a PR effort to show that, you know, they were looking after these people well. I mean, my own view, these kind of things is, it is barbaric to take civilians hostage how you treat them, yeah, 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 fine. Maybe you get, you know, a half brown brownie point for not brutalizing them and killing their, their, their pets. But let's not forget, these are, these are, you know, these are war crimes to take people hostage in the way that they did. Absolutely. All right, Freed, thank you very much. And next, a story that you'll see first right. here. Officials investigating fake electors in Nevada and our Kyung Law tracked them down. And here's what happened. If you would turn that off, we have nothing to talk about really on that. This is an amazing story. Plus, independent presidential candidate RFK Jr. Not shying away from conspiracy theories, as you know, but he is gaining more traction among voters. So tonight there's a live campaign rally. We're there and you're going to hear from voters. And the George Santos expulsion vote is just hours away. Right now, too close to call at this hour. Santos trying to turn the tables and expel another congressman. The story ahead. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. 
For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Breaking news, the alleged architect of Team Trump's fake elector plot in 2020 now cooperating in yet another criminal investigation. CNN confirming that Ken Chesbro has agreed to work with investigators looking into efforts to overturn the election in the state of Nevada. At the center of that investigation, fake electors for Trump. So Kyung Law went to Nevada and she tracked them down in this story that you will see first here out front. In northwest Nevada, nestled among the mountains in the Truckee River Valley, we find in this quiet Reno Public Library two state Republican leaders who don't want to answer our questions. You haven't spoken it. You're not yeah, going to comment on whether you've spoken to anybody. That's going on, right? Uh, but so you do understand I, it's a. Please, it's a, if you would turn that off, we have nothing to talk about really on that. Yeah, I have nothing to say. Yeah, I don't have any. Contacted by investigators. What about your testimony uh, in Georgia? The case that's on that. This is Nevada Republican Party National Committeeman Jim DeGraffenried and Nevada Republican Vice Chairman Jim Hindle. They're also known to state investigators as fake electors. This is them on December 14th, 2020. All right, electors, that is six votes certified for President Donald J. Trump. But Trump lost Nevada in 2020 by 33,000 votes. Joe Biden won Nevada's six electoral votes. Not that you'd know if you were watching this live streamed gathering posing as an official event. Right. Donald J. Trump of the state of Florida, having received six electoral votes, uh, is declared the um, winner of the electoral votes for the state of Nevada. The document they signed that day became part of a charade seeking to undermine voters' faith in democracy. Now leading up to 2024. We've been making the roadshow around uh, the, the state. Chris crossing the state, talking about next year's caucus, while Nevada's attorney general is investigating their actions in 2020 for possible criminal conduct. A source tells CNN that Kenneth Chesbrough, the attorney who helped orchestrate the Trump campaign's fake electors plot, is now cooperating with Nevada investigators. Chesbrough already pleaded guilty in the Georgia election subversion case. Is there any no. irony in you going around with, as you, to use your words, the roadshow, talking about 2024 when in 2020 you signed this I'm fake elector document? Questions. I apologize, but you, you know, I'm, this is not something I will entertain. Do you still believe Trump won? Yeah, it's irrelevant. Um, the Electoral College elects the president, and so the Electoral College elected Joe Biden, and so Joe Biden is the president. Then how do you explain what happened in 2020? That ceremony you participated in and the document you signed. Again, no comment on that. We contacted all of Nevada's six fake electors about the state attorney general's investigation. I'm looking for Sean Meehan. This is him. And this is Meehan in 2020. Sean Meehan. In the attorney general's investigation of the fake electors. I have no comment on that. 
So you've reached the office of Michael J. McDonald. I'm trying to reach Mr. McDonald again. The leader of the fake electors, Michael McDonald. Current Nevada Republican chairman was center stage just last month. Trump! Trump! One of Trump's closest allies in the West. I want to thank Michael. He's been fantastic right from the beginning. McDonald has been summoned by both the January 6th grand jury and in the Georgia fake electors case. But did not reply to our calls. They're still it out there. bothers me to no end. Yes, and I know a number of Republicans that just wish that they would go away. Amy Tarkanian is the former Nevada Republican chairwoman and is now an appointed advisor with the Secretary of State who believes Nevada needs to protect democracy. It's important to address it because you want to make sure that everyone sees that these people are spreading lies and it's malicious. There does need to be some repercussions, so it will make people think very, very hard about trying to pull this kind of garbage off ever again. Kyung is with me now. I mean, it's amazing to see that, Kyung, how they, how they didn't want to speak, how one of the men actually, though, now is, you know, who's the one announcing that Trump won the Electoral College in Nevada, now saying, oh, Biden did and admitting it. Uh, just a few weeks ago, I know Nevada officials had indicated nothing would happen in this investigation. So what's changed? Well, we can tell you that something very different changed, and that name begins with Ken Chesbrough. In the state of Georgia, he pled guilty, and after doing that, the terms of his uh, the terms of his plea deal did change, and that allowed him to travel now to Nevada and to another state, the state of Arizona, where the attorney general in Arizona had told previously to CNN that there is a quote robust investigation happening there. Now, two sources familiar with the Arizona case tell CNN that it does appear that Chesbro is now talking to Arizona investigators, although the concrete details of how quickly that case moves long. We just don't know quite yet, Aaron. All right, Kyung, thank you very much. So Ryan Goodman's uh, with me now. Okay, so you hear Kyung talk about Ken Chesbro going to cooperate in Nevada, uh, obviously pled uh, in Georgia, central in Arizona, where we'll see where that goes. What's the significance of this? So I think it's very significant. Uh, Chesbro is thought of as being a chief architect of the false electors scheme across the different <clears throat> states. And in Nevada in particular, he in fact writes in a memo that the Nevada is the, an extremely problematic state because the meeting of the electors requires the Secretary of State to oversee it. And so he's already identified Nevada as extremely problematic for them because the law does not allow them to do what they did. So it's there in writing. So he has a lot of legal jeopardy in Nevada. And usually prosecutors are not going to try to flip somebody if they are higher up. As a chief architect, they are doing that to go after somebody higher up in the chain of command. Right, so if he's cooperating in yes. all of these instances, right, and, and as the chief architect, then what does that mean? It doesn't necessarily mean, it doesn't, it shouldn't be that it points downward, it should point upward, and there are two people above him, Donald Trump and maybe Rudy Giuliani. You could say Rudy Giuliani is on the same plane. I think it's trouble for them most of all. Right, but very significant. You're now seeing it in multiple states, right? This is a strategy, it's not just Georgia. Yes. Um, all right, you saw Kyung try to talk to uh, two of those uh, alleged fake electors in Nevada. And I just want to play some of that again, because it really did stand out. Here it is. I haven't spoken that you're not going to comment on whether you're spoken on anything anybody. that's going on, right? Uh, so you do understand I, it's a, please, it's a, if you would turn that off, we have nothing to talk about really on that. Yeah, I have nothing to say. I don't have any contacted by investigators. What about your testimony in Georgia? The don't have any comment on that. 
So if Chesbro is cooperating fully, what does it mean for them? I think if I were them and their attorneys, I, they should be very worried and maybe need to think themselves of cooperating because Chesbro can seriously implicate them. The day after that memo that he writes where he's the architect and that's his blueprint, the day after he reaches out to them, uh, to the Republicans in Nevada and says, OK, I'm the point person on this plan. So what could he do but actually hurt them as well criminally by now turning and cooperating with the prosecutors? Right, They've right. got to be sure. Right. As so. you say, even though it's it's pointing up, most likely, yes. uh, a lot of downstream would, would, would go down as well. Absolutely. All right. So um, Donald Trump, the appeals court today, reinstated the gag order against him and his legal team in the Trump org, fraud, Trump org fraud trial. This has been going back and forth, right, this gag order. But it's back in place now. So what are the actual implications of this? I think it bolsters the judge in the case. It's not just him now that will enforce the gag order, but he has the imprimatur of the appeals court behind him saying your gag order is appropriate. And in fact, in the courtroom, he does just that. He says, I'm going to enforce these gag orders rigorously and vigorously. And so for Donald Trump, I think that's a particular concern for him because the judge has already fined him twice. And at a certain point, fines run out, and you start really thinking this would be jail time. If we're an ordinary defendant in a case, right. that would be very likely. What might save him is that his name is Donald Trump. But otherwise, I think he's got to be concerned about that. And it also empowers the district court and the Court of Appeals in D.C., which is currently deciding whether or not to reimpose the gag order there. I think it makes it more likely that they will, because they've now gotten a kind of boost of legitimacy that these things are correct. All right, Ryan, thank you. And next, RFK Jr., Gaining steam with voters now coming into the first voting. So who are his supporters? I think we need someone far outside of the mainstream. All right, we're going to be live at his campaign rally next, and you're going to hear from those voters. And the George Santos expulsion vote, it is now just hours away. So what does this actually mean? The vote right now is too close to call. Tonight, you're looking live at Robert F. Kennedy Jr. making his pitch to voters in Utah. He's there trying to get enough signatures to get on the ballot as an independent candidate for president. Here's some of what he told his supporters just moments ago. The American dream for my generation, the central proposition of the fundamental proposition of the American dream was that if you worked hard, if you played by the rules, that you would be able to finance a home. You'd be able to take a summer vacation. You could raise a family. You could pay for your retirement on one job. There's nobody in that generation who believes that that promise is going to be kept to them. Kennedy has consistently been polling over 20%. And that, to state the obvious, is enough to impact the outcome of the election. So tonight, we went straight to hear his supporters to talk about why, why they want him to be president. Lucy Kafanoff is there at that rally out front in Salt Lake City. Ready for Kennedy 24! Robert F. Kennedy Jr. hitting the campaign trail in Utah as part of his long shot bid to win the presidency. I'm here to declare myself an independent candidate. A scion of the country's most famous Democratic dynasty now setting his sights on the White House as an independent. The Democrats are frightened that I'm going to spoil the election for President Biden. And the Republicans are frightened that I'm going to spoil it for President Trump. For some Utah voters, it's a message that has appeal. I plan on voting for RFK just because we need a little bit of uh, diversity in this political climate nowadays. I think it's just gotten a little too much, you know, red and blue. The world's not black and white. 
The campaign is hoping to gain traction with young voters. So we have a whole generation of kids who, you know, for whom the American dream is just a broken promise. I was hesitant to want to vote for another lesser of two evils and all of a sudden RFK Jr. popped up on my feed. Red Owen, a student at Brigham Young University, voted for Donald Trump in the last election. But when Kennedy began appearing on some of his favorite podcasts, he says he was won over by his anti-establishment message. He approaches issues with understanding of the grievances that both sides of the anti-establishment movement feel. President Trump and President Biden are motivated in their candidacies against one another by grievance and vengeance and spite. People can disagree and still respect each other. Kennedy is a controversial candidate, known for amplifying baseless conspiracy theories, particularly about vaccines. If you got vaccinated, you're more likely to get sick, you're more likely to get severe illness, and you're more likely to die than if you were unvaccinated. But some supporters are willing to overlook that. The Kennedys are really royalty in this country because they do the right thing. Bernie Garcia, a self-described liberal who's voted for Democrats in the past, says he likes how Kennedy takes on corporations and environmental causes. It's something that both the left and the right, I think, can, can find common ground on. And you don't feel like Robert Kennedy is too far outside of the mainstream? Um, I think we need someone far outside of the mainstream. He's offering things that I think appeal to many Americans without necessarily falling into a strict ideology. Kennedy faces an uphill climb. Joe Cook is a volunteer helping the campaign gather signatures for ballot access in Utah. He's not going to appeal to everyone, but he is speaking to everyone. So, Lucy, you talk to people who obviously don't mind Kennedy's conspiracy theories, it seems, and he obviously does not seem to be shying away from those, does he? Yeah, not at all. In fact, in an interview posted just today, he claimed once again that the coronavirus was a bio-up, and it's something that he's written an entire book about. Take a listen. The U.S. intelligence agencies, particularly the CIA, through USAID, became the biggest funder of bioweapons of bio research at the Wuhan lab. SARS-CoV-2 is certainly the product of bioweapons research. Yeah, some of Kennedy's own siblings denounce his presidential bid as, quote, dangerous, but his supporters aren't phased. They like his name. They like what he has to say uh, in terms of his anti-corporation, anti-establishment uh, message. They like what he has to say about the environment and housing. And many of them, at least the ones that we've spoken to, are not getting their information about him through traditional news sources. Aaron? All right, Lucy, thank you very much. Lucy's obviously there, uh, Harry Anton, in the room, uh, where RFK Jr. is speaking right now, full room. Um, and interesting, you know, as she points out, the his supporters are getting their information from other places. Two Latino voters in her reporting who support Kennedy, obviously, crucial group. Uh, and you got a lot of issues at stake right now. Yeah. Um, so how is Kennedy doing with Latino voters? It didn't surprise me. You know, I was speaking with your producer, Susie, beforehand, who had pointed that out and said, is there anything in the numbers that <laughs> sort of is emblematic of something larger? And in fact, if you look amongst Hispanic voters, we basically have a three-way tie between Donald Trump, Joe Biden, That's and RFK amazing. Jr. He's getting 31% on average of the last two Quinnipiac University polls. It's his best racial or ethnic group. He's doing far better amongst them than he is among white voters and slightly better than he does among African-American voters. I mean, but this is incredible. You know, when you hear, I just keep this number up for a second, yeah. people talk about this race. Everyone understands Kennedy is playing a role right now. Yes. But it's still put forth as a two-horse race. Yes. 
And that's um, not a two-horse race. That is not. Say, that is a 30-30-30, that is a, that is a yeah. um, which is incredible. So does Kennedy have room to grow his support from here? We've seen, and I think, I remember when the first poll came out, it was at 19%. People were shocked. Then the second, then the third. It's been eight months. Yeah. It's been steady, which is obviously incredible. Can it go up? It absolutely can go up. You know, one of the things I often like to do is go underneath the hood, go beyond the numbers, as we might say. And if you look at the net favorability scores, that's the favorable ratings minus the unfavorable ratings. Look, Kennedy is underwater, but he's only slightly underwater. He's doing significantly better than Donald Trump, significantly better than Joe Biden. The fact is, is that as more people get to know about uh, RFK Jr., it wouldn't be surprising to me if his numbers went up because the people who do know a lot about him are actually pretty split on him versus, say, Trump or Biden, where the voters are overwhelmingly negative on those two. Right, right. So they're settling, at least it feels like at this point, on, yeah. in those two cases from the numbers. So then it comes out to a matter of you've got to grow it, yeah. and then you have to have turnout. Yeah. You talk about a lot of voters, as Lucy says, who's getting their information from alternative sources. Are they going to show up on Election Day? I'm not sure. This is probably the most negative number uh, for RFK Jr. Amongst those who say they're extremely motivated to vote, in 2024, we see that, in fact, he's getting much lower share of the vote than he is getting amongst those voters who say they're less motivated. 27% amongst those who say they're less motivated voters versus just 10% of those who are extremely motivated voters. So the fact is, this to me is the big question going forward for RFK. Can he get those folks who are less motivated to turn out to vote, those untraditional voters? If he can, right. he has a real chance to shake up the race. Right. And of course, uh, I'm sure Biden or Trump would say uh, those less motivated, they're just angry with the other choices and maybe they'll come around. But, but we just we don't know. Um, fascinating. All right, Harry, thank you very much. Thank you. And next, George Santos going down fighting. His expulsion vote now just hours away. Yes, witch hunting George Santos is great right there. I remember that on the top line of the commitment to America. And Russian state television openly mocking the poisoning of Ukraine's top spy's wife. Openly mocking it. There's a reason that Putin may want this revenge. We have a special report out front. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. So there have been arrests, suspensions, disciplinary hearings. They're shutting down graduation events. At this moment, the part of the protests that are admirable are young people calling attention to atrocities. Michael Roth is the president of Wesleyan University. I would like to make a space for them to do that, as long as that space doesn't prevent other people from pursuing their education. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. Tonight, hours away from a historic House vote on a resolution to expel uh, the Republican uh, Congressman George Santos after the House Ethics Committee had issued an absolutely scathing uh, report that found evidence that he broke multiple federal laws, stole from his campaign, and pushed a constant series of lies, as they say, about himself to voters and to donors. And uh, many of which, frankly, Santos refused to explain here on this show when he appeared. The push to boot Santos, creating a sharp divide among Republicans on the House floor, among people both supporting and opposing the vote. George Santos is a liar. In fact, he's admitted to many of them. Whatever Mr. Santos did with Botox or OnlyFans is far less concerning to me 
than the indictment against Senator Menendez, who's holding gold bars inscribed with Arabic on them from Egypt while he is still getting classified briefings today. Congressman Santos, for his part, vowing not to go away quietly and that if he does go down, that he will take some of his colleagues with him. If I leave, they win. If I leave, the bullies take place. This is bullying. I will be filing. I will be filing a slew of complaints uh, in the coming hours uh, of today and tomorrow to make sure that we keep the, the playing field even. Melanie Zanona is out front on Capitol Hill, Capitol Hill. So, Melanie, where do things stand right now? Obviously, we're hours away from this vote. Um, an incredible situation to be in such a moment and not actually even know exactly how it will go. Yeah, I don't think anyone on Capitol Hill truly knows how this vote is going to go down tomorrow. And it could be a close vote. I mean, there is momentum inside the GOP to expel Santos. But remember, it is a high bar for expulsion to succeed. It requires two-thirds majority of the entire chamber. So that means they would need around 80 Republicans, assuming all Democrats back this effort. And there is a divide inside the GOP right now. There are probably dozens of Republicans who say this damning House Ethics Committee is enough for them and that it's time for Santos to go. But there are plenty of Republicans, including Speaker Mike Johnson, including House Majority Leader Steve Scalise, who say they are concerned about the idea of expelling someone who has yet to be convicted in a court of law. And privately, they might not say this out loud, but they are thinking it. There's also concern about narrowing their already thin majority. So it's going to be a high stakes vote tomorrow. It's going to be a dramatic and rare step if they do move to expel George Santos. A lot of Republicans were just hoping he would resign. Santos obviously saying he won't. So we'll know a lot more tomorrow about the congressman's fate here. It is, it is really going to be an incredible moment. So um, also right there um, in that when he was on the, the, the steps outside the Capitol today, Melanie, he says he will be filing a slew of complaints against his colleagues, uh, one of which was a motion to expel the Democratic Congressman Jamal Bowman, who pled guilty recently to pulling a fire alarm. Um, will these efforts go anywhere for Santos? Well, first of all, that resolution to expel Jamal Bowman, that would be null and void if Santos is expelled. And I think a lot of these threat, a lot of these threats are just empty threats from the congressman. I think he's just trying to project an image that he wants to go down swinging if he is ultimately expelled tomorrow. And in a pen and pad with reporters, our colleague Hallie Tailbit also said that he was saying that he's going to try to file some ethics complaints against some members. He was talking about his mm. post-Congress life. He said he's going to potentially write a tell-all book. He did not rule out the idea of participating in reality TV, like Dancing with the Stars. But there was a moment, according to Haley, where he said he is concerned and worried about the idea of going to jail. He said he's made peace with the fact that that might be his ultimate fate, that he might be kicked out of Congress. And he did admit that he let down his constituents in some way. So a, a rare, mm -hmm. tiny bit of introspection and uh, contrition there from the congressman. Very um, rare. Having spoken to him, um, it is it is very mm -hmm. rare to have a moment yeah. like that. So interesting that it actually happened today. All right. Thank you so much. Melanie. And next, Russian state TV speculating on how and who could have poisoned Ukraine's top spy's wife, as Ukraine and the West point to Vladimir Putin as the suspect. And Senator Rand Paul uses the Heimlich maneuver on a fellow senator in trouble today. Tonight, a desperate race against time. This is what's left of an apartment building after a deadly Russian missile strike series in eastern Ukraine. Crews searching for a family that may still be trapped inside the rubble that includes an eight-year-old girl. This video also showing a six-month-old boy named Eli, who was rescued, given urgent medical care. 
This comes as the wife of Ukraine's top spy chief is also recovering after a suspected poisoning by Russia. It is the latest in a long list of enemies of the Russian leader Vladimir Putin likely poisoned. Fred Plykin is out front. Ukraine's military intelligence wages war in the shadows, but it is hitting the Russians hard, orchestrating cruise missile attacks on Vladimir Putin's Black Sea fleet, ousting Moscow's forces from oil and gas drilling platforms off the coast of occupied Crimea in a daring amphibious assault, and attacking the Russian capital with long-distance combat drones while maintaining deniability. The man leading the intelligence service GUR is Kirillo Budanov, one of Russia's most feared enemies. I appeal to Russian soldiers, to those who got lucky enough to survive in destroyed trenches, he recently said. It will be even worse. You have a choice, die or save your life. But now Ukraine believes the Russians may have struck back. Kiev saying Budanov's wife, Baryana Budanova, has been poisoned by what they say is, quote, a heavy metal. A Ukrainian source telling CNN Budanova tested positive for both arsenic and mercury poisoning. Ukrainian officials believe the Kremlin could be behind it, like the foreign minister right here on out front. Definitely our intelligence chief uh, is the enemy of Russia, as all of us are, all those who are fighting against Russia. So it's highly likely that Russia is, is behind it. Kremlin-controlled media already in a feeding frenzy, rejoicing in the news while seemingly brushing off the allegation. Maybe she just broke a thermometer during one of the parties with her husband's colleagues. Not very sensational, but Ukrainians and their Western owners literally screamed from such news and began to blame Putin. But in a different episode, they brought in a Russian parliamentarian accused of poisoning and killing a former Russian agent in London in 2006 to explain how it would be done. Well, something slipped in her tea and she drank it. There's no other way to poison food and drink other than to pour it in and slip it in somehow. In the past, the U.S. and others have accused Vladimir Putin of ordering poison attacks on his opponents. And few groups have enraged the Russian leader more than Ukraine's military intelligence led by Budanov, the former head of Ukraine's foreign intelligence says. I believe that this was a personal revenge from Putin. Personal revenge for all the shame that the defense intelligence under the leadership of Budanov have inflicted on him. Shame that supersedes what Prigozhin has done to him. And Aaron, the Kremlin hasn't issued direct denial of these allegations, but they do seem to be trying to brush them off as well. The Kremlin spokesman, Dmitry Peskov, he came out and he said, quote, Ukraine blames Russia for everything. All this, of course, as Kirilla Budanov's wife is battling those effects of that poisoning. Aaron. All right. Thank you very much, Fred Plykin. And next, Senator Rand Paul does the Heimlich maneuver, saving a fellow senator. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country. Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.